Welcome to the Career Zone podcast, where each episode we spend a few minutes focusing on something that's on students' minds right now. I'm your host, Ray, an employability and careers consultant with the University of Exeter. And you can catch up with all of our series, keep up with all our regular releases by doing those subscribing and following things. We're on iTunes and Spotify. Hi, Claire. Thank you so much for joining us for our Career Zone podcast today for our Digital and Coding Week. I wondered before we pick up with more detailed and sector-based questions, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your career so far. Certainly, Rachel, and thank you very much for having me. So I'm a consultant based in the UK. I help people, usually at large or mature industries uh, and companies, adopt technologies and ways of working that will help them be more ready for the future. And I specialise in application programming interfaces or APIs. I sort of taken a fairly say Socrates route to get here but I studied engineering and management at university in the UK. I started out on a corporate grad program then chose to work in what we then called computing. Not to be honest that I knew much about it but it was clearly something that was only going to get bigger and therefore my logic was there was likely to be more jobs in it in the future than there were at that point in time. I guess I'd love to say it was a bit more considered than than that but that was really the reason that I took it up and after a couple of years on a grad program in London I moved across to a consulting organization and from there after two years I got an opportunity to go to Hong Kong. I went to Hong Kong for nearly three years, took a gap year because I decided I wasn't ready to go back to the UK yet or actually wanted to stay on much longer in Hong Kong, Needed wanted to do some travel but I lined myself up with a job in Australia uh, in Sydney first when, at the end of the year. And after a year in Sydney, I moved to Melbourne. I've always been comfortable outside of my comfort zone, I guess, but I do have a real love of learning and I'm endlessly curious about the world. And that was really part of what kind of got me into the travel thing, which had always been on agenda. I just hadn't really expected to stay in Australia for as long as I ended up doing so. While I was there, I moved roles a number of times. I crisscrossed between consulting, IT management and leadership and uh, large project program management and uh, direction. And my last corporate role in Melbourne was in technology strategy and architecture at a bank. And then I went full circle and chose to move back to the UK. I set up a consulting business to work remotely from here in the the lovely southwest of of England. What was completely a coincidence and really extraordinary in retrospect was that I did that in November 2019, so literally just weeks before the world changed um, with the pandemic, and after having been overseas for 27 years. So I've always believed you make your own luck, uh, and that's kind of how it's turned out, really. That's so interesting. I always love hearing about windy career paths and almost that planned happenstance that influences our decision making and gets us to where we we end up and while we work out where we're going. I loved what you said as well about your natural curiosity. That's actually something that's come up in the new university strategy, having curious minds. Uh, So that's really exciting, too. I noticed you talk about you started your degree in engineering and management and then you've been on this journey since. And I know that a lot of our students will be wondering if their degree 
equips them for a future in digital and coding. We disagree to, for the most part. And I wondered what you might say to a student that's looking to enter the digital sector, but is worried about how their degree fits. Yeah, I mean, great question and observation, and I, and I certainly agree with you that uh, <laughs> agree with you that we should disagree that uh, um, degrees are not equipping people for digital. I, I think it's it's three things really for me. The first is people at you know at university today are already digital. Secondly, tech is everywhere; <laughs> it's in every role. Um, and thirdly, I think any degree can be applied to the tech industry or the digital industry. You just need to think a little bit differently perhaps than how people have traditionally thought of degrees into jobs. So if you look at like firstly you are already digital. I mean the way that anybody communicates now, let's say for example, the end of your undergraduate degree at the moment, if you know you're age 21, 22, you've grown up with tech. And the way that you communicate, the way you do everything from managing your I don't know, fitness and well-being or your healthcare or your finances or um, your sporting associations or your hobbies or interests, they're all done through technology, your, your social life, how you date, everything. And you're therefore kind of already naturally digital in the way that you process things and think about things. And that means that for companies or public sector organisations that are trying to understand their inverted commas customers, you represent the most kind of digital generation to be able to support that. I mean, of course, since COVID, the way that you learn, you know, is highly digitized. So you're already digital is the first thing. The second is technology is so pervasive. I used to do programs to encourage high school girls in particular, age of 15, 16 in Melbourne to think of studying IT or, or, or think about future careers in IT. And we used to ask them the question up front, what job can you think of that doesn't use technology? And it's really hard to think of one unless you're perhaps, I don't know, a hermit in a, um, in a cave meditating or something like that. Most jobs, even jobs that perhaps people think of, you know, maybe in the arts or in working for yourself in kind of creative mode, you still probably need to find and access people through your website or you need to understand your audiences through analysing data or you need to participate in ways. Everything is digital these days. If you're in healthcare, if you're in law, if you're in manufacturing, you know, let alone finance, all those sorts of things. So in many ways, your advantage in how you kind of use tech and you need to, or at least you can think about your job will use technology in some way. And you either have a choice of being relatively passive in that process or being quite active in it. And being active in it to me is, is having a kind of a digital slant in your job. So if the third thing is that a grounding in any degree and or work experience can be applied to opportunities in the in the tech and the digital industry. I mean, here's some, think of some examples. Let's say you're studying history. Well, if you study history, I would imagine you're pretty curious about the world. You're able to distill and re research really well. You can see trends and perhaps maybe you know, use the past to predict the future, really important in, in tech. You may be particularly good at communicating complexity and distilling ideas quickly. That's really important in a lot of technology types of natures of work. You're probably logical and structured in your thinking. Uh, if you study economics, you're going to be good at data and analysis and insights. But again, you know, that's something that almost every department of every organization or every small business or every startup is, is trying, to, trying to do in, in different ways. 
In fact, one of the challenges at the moment for many organisations and people is there's just too much data and they're trying to work out their, their way through it. So those degrees that are good at structuring and finding patterns and and distilling the important from the the unimportant is really really key key skill. If you study modern languages, uh, you're probably tuned to the kind of nuance of language, which is becoming increasingly important in the way that information is presented or used. A lot of jobs and roles around communicating information, technical information to people who are not so technical. Uh, there are you know emerging trends they call things like no-code, low-code environments where we call them business commercial types of people are using coding-like things to be able to use. So that needs to be really well written and communicated quite often to people for whom English isn't their first language. If you study engineering, you're good at breaking down a problem into smaller pieces that you can understand and, and then build back up, often good at organising, managing product plans, product strategies and applying coding and those sorts of things. Legal training, law, for example, could be relevant for you know, emerging stuff like data ethics or managing data privacy types of things. These are problems that every organisation is trying to deal with at the moment. And, I mean, yes, of course, you know, things like maths helps, but arguably a lot of the applied sciences, physics or engineering or chemistry and those sorts of things are, are kind of equally if not more in demand I think for base IT careers so kind of a long answer to your short question. No that's so interesting and I really appreciate how you've threaded in different degree types to the skills that translate and relate to a career in tech it's exactly what I'd be saying to someone I met in a career zone appointment look at the skills you've got let's see how they relate to a career in tech so it's really, really lovely to hear you articulate it like that. This idea of tech almost being quite holistic in it's it permeates every part of our, our lives. So we are exposed to it and our graduates are going to represent the most digital generation. They are the ultimate digital natives at, at this point. So thank you so much for that. I did wonder, and this sort of follows on from what you were saying about the, the degrees, and the skills that you can get from your degree. What do you think are the most in-demand skills in the sector at the moment? And what skills do our students and graduates need in order to succeed? I think there's a bit of an official answer and an unofficial answer, if you, if you want me to be honest. <laughs> the official answer, I mean, it, it's, it's actually quite hard to predict in some ways because the industry is continuing to change so fast and it's changing faster. And in fact, you know, the pandemic has you know, accelerated that even more so. But clearly in the official answer, foundational maths, logic, problem solving, you know, since the the trends, cloud, artificial intelligence, machine learning, cyber, APIs that are involved in, all of those are big and only getting bigger. They're kind of because every organisation is trying to apply them. So there's a, you could argue, a big convergence in the types of, technologies that people are trying to apply to whatever the business problem is that they're solving for if that makes sense so there are things that are related to particular sectors to particular industries but the the way that let's say for example a bank chooses to adopt cloud or apply AI or APIs might actually be equally transferable to a large government organization 
to a manufacturer, to an insurance company, to a pharmaceutical business. So these skills that can be used that everybody's got the same sort of demand in is because there's this kind of convergence going on. I think the other you know, official stuff, which you, you know, Rachel, I think you were saying at the start of this, in our intro, you spend a lot of time with students helping them think about the, call it the softer skills, the aptitude approach mindset things that are really important, very important in the tech industry, whether it's, you know, desire to learn, ability to communicate, collaboration, really important. And I think the digital native generations, because I think there's multiples of them now, tend to be very naturally good at team-based problem solving, which is something that's really important in the IT industry. Commitment to learning continuously. So this commitment to lifelong learning, probably heard that phrase a lot, is a really, really key one in the IT industry to just stay current. Being curious about what's coming up can really help with that. So that's the kind of official package, if you like. But I think if I'm having a really honest conversation with someone about what should they do or could they do, I think it's a, it's a bit like if you asked me, what should I um, pack for a holiday? Like I'd go, well, what kind of holiday are you thinking about? You know, is it six month trek across the Himalaya with a rucksack and not really any planned kind of map? Is it a, a once in a lifetime scaled Kilimanjaro in a three week trip? Or is it a long weekend flop and drop on this resort in Spain or something? What you need for each of those things is completely different. And that's kind of what it's like when you're looking at the employment workforce as a approaching, you know, as a graduate or approaching graduate. It just depends on what you want to do. So I think you have to ask questions like, what's the real motivation for my finding a job? You know, am I looking for job security? Am I looking for the, you know, how much I'm remunerated from day one? Am I looking at the earning potential at some time in the future? Am I looking at how much travel I'll get, what training I'll get? Do I just want to hang out with other people who I think will be fun to work with? I actually think those are really what goes on behind people's, maybe they don't feel comfortable saying it, but I think those are in the subconscious kind of what tends to play out when people are looking at looking at work. And they should be really asking kind of what type of organisation do I want to work for? How important is the brand name of the place where I'm working or the job title that it has? Is it something that other people will go, oh, well, that's fantastic, or I understand that, or I've heard of them? Or is it actually a company that's got like really interesting people to work with or has a really clear purpose? I always remember meeting with a friend who I asked them what they did and how they, how they defined their work. They just said, I work for a water company and we're making our city a better place to live. And I thought, gosh, she didn't talk about kind of what her day-to-day job was necessarily, but she was able really quickly in a short phrase to show how she was really committed to what she did because of the purpose of where she worked. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily find it very easy to be able to describe that as easily as they can. And when they do, it allows them to be really, really engaged and really passionate about their work. And so I would advise that people look for things like that that are going to allow them to connect. It's really important what types of people you get to be working with on a day-to-day basis, what are you going to learn from them, how supportive are they going to be. With this move to online, so much work happening online and so much more readiness for people to have flexible ways of working, there are so many opportunities now to create a work environment that is much more tailored around how you want to live outside of work as much as in work. And that's 
it's changing so quickly and is probably creating lots of opportunities for people coming new into the workforce. The question is how ready is the place that they're going to work to absorb and understand that. And I think that for me would be the things I'd be asking about. I've been sat here nodding and smiling as you've been talking there, Claire, because that's exactly what we rap lyrical about in the career zone. This understanding your values, your motivations, who you are, what's important to you. Because as you've said, there are so many different organisations that you could end up working for, which will have different values and will represent quite different things. So what do you need from that organisation? And then stepping back to think about the skills after that. So what skills do you need to pack in your bag for for that destination? Like, as you've said, a lot of them would be quite similar in terms of the collaboration and the team-based problem solving. But if you're working for a particular organisation, you may need to be able to demonstrate greater resilience than elsewhere, I suppose, depending on what they do. I think there's there's another one which kind of goes back to what what you were talking about at the the start in terms of zigzag careers or straight lines. I spent a lot of my career where where people will start out a training course or they'll start out thinking, what are your your goals? What do you want to be doing in five years or 10 years time? And I'm kind of like, I don't know the answer. And I used to be embarrassed about it. And I used to kind of pretend that, you know, maybe I, you know, I had this kind of slightly hidden shame about the fact that I didn't have really clear objectives and goals. But actually, I've discovered that an awful lot of people don't have really clear goals. And what it means is you can be really flexible and able to pivot if you're prepared to take some risks. So I I think people kind of might ask, you know, if you don't have goals, how much risk are you prepared to take with each career step that you make? How much certainty do you need to have? And basically, most jobs don't have any certainty to them, frankly, or have very little. It's more about how ready are you to be able to see an opportunity when it comes along and take it with which is certainly how I've lived my life and I think it it does mean that you have a lot of resilience when the unexpected happens because you can see the opportunity to pivot and not feel stressed about that. Sure and it's changed so much hasn't it Uh, I know my parents generation you picked a job and that's what my parents have done ever since whereas now we know that People change careers all the time, and that's actually a a strength. And it goes back as well to what you were saying about this curiosity and that lifelong learning and that willingness to keep learning and adapt and try different things. And sort of being positive in these experiences as you test ideas, which actually I think brings us on quite nicely to the next question. So we're always talking to our students about gaining work experience opportunities. And we've talked about this windy career path already, but what opportunities and experience do you feel would be most beneficial to those looking to enter the sector? I think I applaud that you're encouraging people to get work experience because I I too think that is so important. And it's certainly something that anybody I, I speak to, who even if they're at school or at, at college, I encourage them to do um, because as an employer, it is so noticeable how much difference people are able to make and how how much they can kind of apply from day one, even if they've had, you know, a few weeks or a few months worth of worth of work along the way. Although I acknowledge it's not always easy to get those work experiences. So 
I think there's a few reasons why it's great. It's great because it helps you when you are graduating because you're kind of just more ready. It also allows you to knock some things off the list that maybe you don't like to want to do. <laughs> because one of the challenges at the moment is work opportunities are so broad. So where to start is certainly something that a lot of people kind of, I find, unless someone's got a really clear career path and, you know, if you always wanted to be a doctor or always wanted to be, you know, a particular type of whatever the career choice is, that's fine. But that, I think, is only a small percentage. And to your point, people are going to have, what is it now, 12 or 15 careers in their life and quite often multiple, you know, they'll be doing two or three jobs even potentially at the same time. So it's very different. I think where you get work experience Firstly, you don't need to, you, you can go and work for a technology company to get tech digital experience. You can work in the technology function of, of an organization. Or you could choose to put your hand up for creating more digital and tech experiences in another inverted commas non-tech role. So let's say, for example, you were working in a sales or marketing department or commercial team, there'll be a lot of data and information or access to systems and information about customers or trends or sales where you may be able to start applying some more interest and and curiosity about the technology that's presenting some of that data and how that could be improved or um, presented differently those could be ways in which you could sort of get started let's say you were working in a finance insurer or a bank or something like that, you might spend some time understanding about what's behind you know, a mobile app that some of those customers use. Or if you're working in a small business, you might be interested in the tech that's used to manage suppliers that's used to um, even, you know, the point of sale systems in a, in a cafe or a restaurant or a, a small store. There's huge amounts of tech that goes on behind that and sort of understanding how, you know, if something goes wrong, actually taking the initiative to be the person that brings up the support number and finds out how to fix it. They're little things that you can do, but they start getting you involved in understanding what information is being moved around, how it's being moved around, what's the tech that's actually enabling it to be moved around and all of the things behind that. So I think there's work opportunities you know, that, that present themselves to give you digital experience. I think that keeping up to date, your point about, um, uh, you know, we've just been talking about the lifelong learning. There is a lot of stuff that you can find in terms of resources that are available free online, um, access to people. And of course, a lot of the jobs that are emerging now are still only a small number of, of years old. And the ones that are most in demand, so we talked about, let's say, for example, something like cloud. So cloud sounds like that's a fairly broad term, but this is people with technical cloud experience who know how a company can start moving their software and their applications off computers that they've traditionally had under their own management in if their buildings or in somebody else's building. They're now adopting moving those applications to, to cloud services, for example. It's easy to forget that Amazon Web Services, who sort of led the way in this whole industry, they only went public with cloud services in 2006. So if you were involved in the very, very start of this, 
it is unlikely that you've got more than 15 years experience. And then there were only a small number of people doing it. Now, almost every organization has some form of kind of inverted commas cloud strategy. So we need an awful lot of people to help them manage that. Now, they either have to retrain or recruit people or go and find them. And it's just an example of where that market has kind of grown. But you could go and start if you, that was to be something that you're interested in and you knew nothing about. You could go and find an awful lot of that from, guess what, Google and <laughs> communities and all those other things that you kind of take for granted if you're a digital native in any other area of hobby or interest that you've got. The same applies in the IT industry. It happens to be, thankfully, a place where you can, you can meet people all over the world. You can, people are always really friendly and helpful and willing to, to help out. It's how the IT industry has grown. It's how it operates. And they're all out there if you know where to start. That's so interesting. I've actually taken some notes to, to pick up on from what you just said there. I love this idea of keeping an open mind with the opportunities that you're taking. So it might not be an obviously tech role, but what skills have you got in that area that would enable you to maybe make processes a bit smoother and more efficient? And that way you're doubly contributing. You've got something for your CV um, that says, hey, I've done this. I've, I've done some coding to speed up this process. And you've helped uh, the organisation that you're working for. This lifelong learning, it did come to mind. I'm really going to update myself here. So I learned HTML probably about 15 years ago when I was on MySpace. So I could edit my profile page. And um, that was just playing around, not really having a clue, no formal learning, but sort of testing it and having a go. And now in my day job, I need to do a bit of HTML for, for web edits. I feel very confident because I know the basic things from, from when I was just messing around quite a long time ago. And it's identifying those transferable skills that you maybe haven't gained in a formal environment that you can then sort of lend to any role or work experience that you're gaining, which I think is so important. And I just wanted to, to jump on as well you, about testing ideas through work experience. I got really excited when you said that, Claire, because it's something in the career zone we feel very strongly about that idea of, OK, this might not be the right fit for me. I've spent two weeks doing an internship here. Now I know that I don't want to work for that type of organisation. I've got something to talk about at my next interview at this organisation, which I feel will be a better fit. And it takes us back to that windy road, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, I do think, I mean, well, maybe I should ask you the question about whether you think there is much bias out there about digital and tech roles and careers, the kind of it's not for me thing. I guess I tend to see it through a gender lens because that happens to be where I've spent you know, more of my time talking with uh, people who are or encouraging people, if you like, to think about tech types of careers. You know, and I'm trying to help kind of get better gender balance in the from the school age onwards. But we often find there's quite a bit of, well, at least at least I found it in Melbourne, quite a lot of unconscious bias about the sorts of people that went into IT careers and that and it wasn't until they actually met people in the industry they kind of realised it was rather different than, let's say, the IT crowd or Big Bang Theory. Two of my questionable role models for what the IT industry is about. Well, because there's so much research, isn't there, that says 
people are less likely to apply for a role if they don't see themselves in it. So if I'm looking at an organisation that maybe uh, has a very prominent male chief exec and I can't see any female leaders there, myself as a woman might think, oh, I'm, I can't see myself being in a leadership role at that organisation because no one else is doing it. And on an unconscious level, not necessarily consciously thinking about it. But I would say there's a bit of disruption in in this area as well. So at the University of Exeter, we've got our digital humanities lab. And I think we we recognise that humanities often is the, the gender split is probably more towards female women students. And I've noticed we've got loads of advertising around at the moment, Claire, from Xcode, where it's coding for everyone, an eight week coding course. For anyone that's interested and it that feels really positive to me you can try this you can have a go as opposed to like you say that sort of it crowd uh, maybe big bang theory vibe where it can almost feel a bit closed off you're not one of us you've not studied this so therefore so i i do think it's from my experience in higher education i do think and hope it's starting to change it's also the environment so you know the it work um, is often in you know in very different kind of physical workspace at least it was before um, the world went completely remote the workspaces in tech companies are often some of the most engaging environments in which to be at work and with some of the more open ways of working and more respect and interest in in young people and in young or at least you know newer people into the workforce with fresh ideas are often embraced in terms of, of change. The image is changing, you're right, and it, it is going the right way. Uh, and I think it's fantastic to hear about the kind of programme that you're offering at Exeter to make everyone able to join you know, coding in eight weeks. I think it's fantastic. We need more people to try it, give it a go, get that, get that work experience and test the idea instead of uh, maybe writing it off because you don't see yourself there, give it a test. Um, I think might be the takeaway from this bit, Claire. What do you think? <laughs> no, I agree, and I, and I think also it's it like to allay some some fears or, or or just go in with it with an open mind. You know, it may not be for you, and maybe even kind of like how do you describe it to other people around you? So, you know, saying I'm going off with some work experience to try and connect back to the purpose of what the role's about or what the organisation's trying to do. It's back that is a much easier to kind of communicate and connect with than I'm going off to do a couple of weeks of sitting behind a computer, um, not talking to anyone, which wouldn't be the case anyway. But, it, but do you see what I mean? It's something about, well, actually, I'm going to go and help this company design or you know, run the clinical trials for an important new um, life-saving <laughs> treatment or something like that. You want to go back to the purpose, I suppose. And we come back again, don't we, to values. And I, I love that. How would you describe the role? Like, what, what are you doing? I think that's a really good way to look at any sort of experience. Just moving us back into the digital and technology sector, I'd be really interested to know, because we've talked a bit about sort of working in the sector, what do you think the main challenges are being faced by digital technology sector at the moment and maybe in the near future? And Follow-up question. How are organisations responding to this in your experience? 
And I think the organisations that I work with um, as, you know, as clients and colleagues, you know, and, and, and those sorts of things, and I've had experience with, the nature of the work that I do is help them to actually adopt things that the digital technologies, digital ways of working have proven to be successful. So a lot of the companies I'm working with are trying to adopt those. So that's so it's not like it's the digitech sec- sector necessarily. It's that all sectors are, are trying to have companies that are trying to adopt more of the, sometimes they call it, you know, the digital transformation agenda that they're going through. And I, I see that the pressures on them probably fall into kind of three obvious three areas to me would stand out. I mean, one is the drivers for their customers. So if you're an organization that has customers who are consumers, people like you or I, there's things to be really aware of in the demographics. So I believe 26% of the world is currently under the age of 15. Um, In Europe, that's about 16%, which means that in 2006, the oldest of that cohort, that community, so the 16% of the population, they were born the year that Facebook opened up um, to anybody over age 13 with an email address. They were two when the iPhone was launched and they were three when Spotify was launched. So that's only in 2008, right? So 16% of the population, the consumers, have been brought up completely with tech. So a whole nother generation of digital nativeness than even the community that we were talking about earlier that's in in university perhaps at the moment. Then if you add that 19% of the European population is over 65, you've got this other complete kind of change of balance of of where the working age people, if you like, are going. Companies are needing to think about that. One needs to think about how that aging community is going to have the most, you know, uh, more cost effective healthcare provision, how, how the taxation systems are going to be able to support them. You know, how are those people as the world becomes more digitized, how are they going to be able to be best served and supported? There's so many opportunities, I think, to help those in that kind of balance of population. So those are things that companies are thinking about. But if they don't sell directly to consumers, they sell to other businesses, if they don't sell directly to you or I, or they're not a public sector organisation supporting a citizen like you or I. There are companies that need to help look at how to sell their products and services to the businesses or the public organisations that are supporting customers and consumers. And they need to think about how to do that increasingly differently and better if you like or more effectively so there's a whole lot of customer stuff that is informing how how and why people digitize there's a bunch of employee stuff and there's a bunch of kind of i call it esg environmental stuff the employee proposition is in you know has gone rollicking up the agenda for people since the pandemic because of course it's not just really important to keep people safe physically and mentally it's also important to understand the proposition that's offered to them now that we're in this very different world and particularly the whole kind of remote working, how people, employees can feel human, how they can have a differentiated experience at work, how they can be more inclusive. All all of these sort of the employee proposition for companies is bigger and more important and digitization and tech is kind of both driving that and also offering opportunities for it. And then the third one, I think, is this, call it the kind of external climate or the need for organisations to 
have a much more active uh, presence and responsibility and position about where they stand on, I'll, I'll group it under ESG, environment, social governance, but covers off all sorts of things, you know, diversity, equality and, and inclusion in the workforce, responsible investments and, and choices about how people, you know, ensuring that they have a responsible um, ethical supply, that their, their manufacturing processes are green, that they're reducing their waste, that they're managing risks in the economy, which of course are, you know, hugely changed now. And all of these things are kind of also informing some of the tech and digital activities. Um, how do they use data responsibly? What's their privacy ethic responsibility? How do they keep people safe from, how do they keep their customers' data safe, their own employees' data safe? How do they uh, resource responsibly while managing, you know, imbalance in their supply chains? There's just so much going on for, at the moment. But all of these things are made more acute, if you like. Um, they're, they're brought into sharper focus through both the opportunities and all the threats of the technology. And therefore, uh, they need people who can understand and navigate that, I think, to help them be best set up for success in the future. It sounds like from what you've said there, these challenges and threats come big opportunities potentially for, for our students and our graduates wanting to move into digital technology sector. But like you say, beyond that as well, like in, in any role, there are so many, it's FUCA, isn't it? Volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity being faced by all of us and by all organisations and technology, I think, is a big part of the response to that and digital transformation, as you say. Yeah, I think I think I'd probably add that the call it the tech industry, whatever that means, <laughs> or technology minded people or people in the industry have, by the nature of what they're involved in, have naturally been very open to change because they look at you know technology is a is a kind of a future looking thing, and so they're naturally better at whether you call it embracing change or responding to change or being resilient to change than resisting it. So you can see that there is a, I think a, there's a widening gap between the organizations that are able to quickly pivot and respond. And that's not just kind of in their strategy, it's in their mindset, in their processes, in the people that they employ, the behaviors that they encourage and reward. Those, those are the survivors or call it all the, all the thrivers maybe would be a better word at the moment. And resisting change can, you know, is the people who are more of the resistors, I think uh, the challenge with that has been shown up because everything under COVID puts, puts things into focus so much sharper. Absolutely. I was just thinking about retail and maybe some of the department stores that didn't embrace a change to online shopping as quickly as others uh, likely to be the ones we're not seeing on the high street so much now. And I suppose with all of this in mind, Claire, we've we've talked about the tech value of of a degree, the skills and the experience that students will gain and can demonstrate to employers and what the sector is, is looking like and a bit about what the world is looking like as well. I just wonder whether I could ask you 
what's one thing you hope that someone listening to this call might take away or one thing they might do as a result of listening to this podcast? Consider tech if they hadn't before. <laughs> yes, that's it. I feel like I should be considering tech and actually I have embraced it, I will say, since the pandemic, yeah, in online teaching. I completely agree. Give it a go. It's definitely been inspiring to to hear about your experience and get your insights about how to to enter the sector and also how the sector is so much broader than thinking about the tech industry. It it is everywhere and we can be these sort of digital skills will be useful in so many different roles outside of the sector too. So thank you so much for your time, Claire. I really do appreciate you joining us for this podcast. This was the Career Zone podcast brought to you by the University of Exeter Career Zone. You can find this series on iTunes and Spotify, so do subscribe and follow us to keep up with our regular releases. And we would love to hear from you. So if there is something on your mind, then share your thoughts or questions on Instagram at UOE Career Zone or at UOE Cornwall Career Zone or Twitter at UOE Careers. Hashtag Career Zone podcast and we'll follow up in one of the next episodes. Finally, of course, you can find out more information about all the support we offer at exeter.ac.uk slash careers.